Oh my God. Now my mouth keeps f***ing up. I'm just not having a day. (laughs) Make sure not to edit that part out. Yeah, that's going in. This episode is brought to you by Cloudflare Pages. For more, visit enjoytheview.io slash cloudflare-pages. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Tessa, and today on our panel, we have Alex. Hello. Ari. With more confidence, hello. And I guess since my name is still in the script, Tessa, hello. (laughs) And our special guest for this episode is Laurie on Tech. Wait, no, her name is actually Laurie Barth. Welcome, Laurie. Laurie is a senior software engineer, and you may have seen her around the internet. Hi, everyone. Did I miss anything in the intro? Or No, I'm laughing at being introduced as Laurie on Tech because when I go to conferences, I don't even use my last name because most people don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, you know that, Laurie. <laughs> no, I just put on tech in parentheses and more people know me <laughs> by that than anything else. You should just be Laurie, not Voss. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. I'm going to tell him you said that. (laughs) She's also a fearsome imposter, so sleep with one eye open. Accurate, though. I haven't played in way too long. She's very intimidating. (laughs) So today's topic is everyone's favorite way to spend their free time. Interviews. Have any of you ever been interviewed before? No, just kidding. Ha <laughs> Like for a podcast? Because, yeah, I've been interviewed for a podcast a few times, but... Uh... Yes, we all know what it's like to be interviewed for a podcast. This is a fantastic topic and a great way to connect to our listeners. We hope you appreciate us as much as we appreciate you. <laughs> I feel like Tessa sounds like an infomercial. Like Wait till you hear our next ad. <laughs> Let's talk about interviewing for jobs. Ah, that interviewing. Yes. Can we like refer to that as the topic that shall not be named? Feels most appropriate. Well, yeah, no, I was just going to ask, has anybody ever engaged in topic that will not be named? I've topic not be named before. Oh, the transcribers are going to love this. Yeah, they are. (laughs) I have also participated in the topic that shall not be named. Any particularly remarkable ones that stand out? Oh my gosh, so many, so many. My most recent favorite is an interview that I had where I talked to a recruiter and she was like, sounds great. We're going to fast track you to our final rounds. It's four conversations. And I was like, wow, that's like the shortest interview I've heard about. This sounds awesome. And I get to the interview and the first conversation, I think maybe I talked to the hiring manager before the final round, but whatever, like the hiring manager conversation went perfectly well. And then I talked to someone else and it was like this weird sort of distributed systems interview. And I stopped halfway through and I was like, I'm sorry, like I'm okay at this stuff. It's not really my area of expertise or really even interest. I can, I can talk about it. Is this part of the job that I'm interviewing for? Cause I didn't think it was. And he goes, Oh, what job are you interviewing for? And I'm like, I'm sorry. What? I was like, I told him the team and he looked it up and he was like, oh, I'm actually not familiar with that team. 
And that happened in the third conversation and the fourth conversation. And one of them had heard of the team. And it's because this company at staff level decided to do generic interviews. And their thought process is, if you're, you know, talented enough to like work here, then we'll hire you for a team just generically. And I'm like, that doesn't, that makes sense if you are a shop of like five people and you're all contributing to everything. This was a company of thousands, like a company you all have heard of. And I'm like, you haven't changed your interview practices in a long time because your idea is at this staff level, you'll be able to contribute across the board. But at a staff level, you're an expert in something. And if you're interviewing them about everything. And so I bombed this interview, like straight up bombed this interview. I even bombed the actual hands-on live coding part because I was just so tired and like really demotivated. And that was the last session of the day. So I just bombed that too. And I told the recruiter after, I'm like, I didn't pass those interviews. And she was like, no, 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 I'm sure you did fine. I'm like, no, 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 I really didn't pass those interviews. And she sent me an email like two days later. And she was like, yeah, like, we're not gonna like move forward. But thank you so much. Like, you clearly have a lot of experience. I'm sure like you'll do well. And I could tell she was shocked. She was like, how can this person be that good at faking that they have technical skills? They have this like ridiculous breadth of experience. And I was like, I'm not that good at faking it. You all asked terrible questions. Like, what were you thinking? And I should have responded with that feedback. And I didn't because I was just exhausted and demotivated at that point. That's got to be a top two, maybe top three for me. I'll do some of the other terrible ones as we move forward in today's conversation. Yeah, I feel like I remember you commenting on Twitter.com that generic interviews are definitely the best way to go. Definitely not sarcasm at all. I do feel like that fits into like a lot of what I've seen on career ladders, though, or like just job descriptions casually during interview processes is a lot of times it seems like the higher up you go, the more people expect you to be like a full stack developer. So I guess if you were full stack instead of front end, then you would become a fuller stack developer. Like there's always phrases like you should be able to jump into any area of the code base at any time and immediately make a big impact. And I'm like, hmm. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Here's the funny part. I am a full stack developer. I am literally currently writing a Java backend and a TypeScript front end. And I was a consultant for seven years in which I did everything from database design to writing a front end in Vue. Like, I had to get my Vue reference in there. I am a full stack developer and I still... I was just so caught off guard. I was like, this level of depth on load balancers doesn't really make sense. Like, I know what a load balancer is. I can talk somewhat intelligently about it. It also felt like gotcha questions because there would be, in the systems design round, they were talking about something. And he was like, I would, he's like, how would you do this? And I started going into actually doing it. And he was like, well, the answer was AWS. And I was like, that's not an answer. That's a tool. Most of the times in interviews, you can't just say, I'd use dot sort as a method, right? Like, be more specific if that's the answer you want. Really? Because I've heard a lot of times you can short circuit an interview, like if they're like, all right, here's this algorithm. And you're like, I just use a map. And then they'd be like, great, next question. They were inconsistent. So like certain questions, he was like, I expected that. I'm like, but two questions ago, you wanted me to explain something instead. And I think probably the answer was answer this quick way. And then I might add follow-up questions. But if that's the way you're going to run an interview, people can't guess, like people can't read your mind. You need to preface, you need to set your expectations at the beginning. Like 
Some interviews, I was talking about this with someone the other day. Some interviews are saying, this is meant to be challenging and like stretch your knowledge. We don't expect you to get through it. For other interviews, it's, this is meant to be simple. Make it as simple as possible to keep working through it. Don't add edge cases or other things. We don't care about those things. But if you don't preface your interview with that, neither of those things are going to come across and people are going to make the wrong choices and do terribly as a result because they're not meeting your expectations. As you can tell, I can rant about this for way too long. (laughs) How about you, Ari? Any memorable interviews? Well, what's interesting is I totally thought I bombed the technical, the take home for my current job. (laughs) Like the point that like, as soon as it was done, I made myself a drink because I was like, that went so horribly. Like there's no way I'm going forward with this. But as it turns out, I guess, comparatively speaking, I was amazing. (laughs) What I ended up doing in an effort to like, you know, maybe make up for it, I did a like a personal retrospective on it and, you know, kind of like figured out like why exactly things went wrong. Cause it was, you know, a time box, three hours, you know, build this basic thing with fake data that you kind of have to make yourself. I hate that. I hate when they do that. Just give me the freaking data. But apparently that was what sealed it for me is they loved that I did a retrospective. (laughs) So (laughs) takeaway there, if you really mess up, just say why. <laughs> I understand the time box things for so many reasons, but the time box also really frustrates me because I think we have this idea that seniors are juniors, but faster, which is like wrong. I literally spent an entire day yesterday trying to figure out why the mocking library was causing a broken test. And it turns out it was the testing library. And like, like I spent a day doing this. I'm not any faster than anybody else. I get hung up by the same problems. And I've been doing this for a decade. So like the idea that in an interview, you can solve an algorithm just faster is sort of nonsensical. You're like, listen, I debug my problems one console log at a time, just like the rest of you. Yes, absolutely. That's what I do. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are people who don't do that, but good for them, I guess. (laughs) I feel like no matter what we do and what approach we take to tech interviews, they will always be broken and will always marginalize someone. And I don't know how to fix that. If anyone has great ideas, please share them now. (laughs) I've written about this a bunch. I've developed a lot of interviews. You don't say, Laurie, you (laughs) write about stuff? I write about here Sometimes I develop interviews. Sometimes I interview people even. Nothing's ever going to be perfect, but we can get a lot better than where we are now. Like a lot, a lot better. And a huge part of that comes down to recognizing that developing interviews takes an epic amount of time. And it takes an epic amount of time for a couple of different reasons. One, because you actually have to take the time and figure out who you want to hire in some explicit way. And too many people don't do that. They're like, oh, we need another team member. Let's use the rec that we used for the last one. Well, The last one was different because the makeup of your team was different when you wrote it. So you probably need to revisit and think about what you really need now. And then the second is they steal an interview from someone else because they don't want to write their own. And that doesn't match the job that they put out the request for in the first place. And then the person interviewing them 
thinks I'm so great at my job and I'm an interviewer now, I should get someone who has the same skills as me because that's what makes me good at my job because people are really terrible at self-reflection and recognizing what actually makes them a value add to their company and how other things in other people might make them value adds based on the current makeup of the team. So you have this like one, two, three punch of people not putting in the time and effort to sit down and look at humans because we're bad at judging humans both ourselves and others and when you put all those things together it just results in an absolutely terrible experience for everyone it's almost like you're saying how many legos would it take to build a life-size model of buckingham palace would not be a good interview question but that can't be right i mean it would not be a good interview question because legos plural is not a thing how many lego bricks would it take would also be a terrible (laughs) interview question (laughs) <laughs> I can't believe I just got well actually on my own show. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. How many tetraminos? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those questions don't make sense, but also asking someone to do a recursive algorithm probably doesn't make sense unless you're working on a role that's focused on backend performance, you know, like data processing. And asking someone about the this keyword in JavaScript doesn't make sense if you're looking for someone who's really well-versed in React or Vue or even Angular. This is like a dead thing at this point. We keep asking these questions because the argument is, I want people to know how it works under the hood. And I'm like, that's how it works under the hood to you because you came up historically, like you witnessed when it was that way and you watched history evolve to where it is now. So that is how you understand what's happening under the hood. That's not actually what's happening under the hood. And frankly, someone doesn't necessarily need to know what's underneath the abstraction in order to use the abstraction. But we have all these archaic, like gatekeeping concepts of what makes a hardcore engineer and what makes someone good enough to write a, to center a button on the page and make sure the on-click event fires. Like, come on. Laurie, 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 you obviously can't use a framework like Vue unless you can reinvent the computer from scratch any more than you can cook a meal unless you own a farm and grow everything yourself. I drive a car and if you wanted me to understand anything about the combustion engine, I would be able to tell you it's called a combustion engine. It changed an alternator once. Worst experience in my life. (laughs) I can change oil. And windshield wiper fluid. And that is the extent of my knowledge That's of That's better than me. I can put gas in the car. Oh, I can do that too. Oh, yeah, okay. I can drive a stick shift. So I'm obviously better than all y'all. Yeah, clearly. I can sometimes identify the cars in those like three by three grids where they're like, click on all the tiles <laughs> that have a car. <laughs> and the next level of abstraction is, can you train the AI model to recognize what a car is? That's the next interview question then is that should be somebody's next interview question is, okay, cool. Please, please train this AI to identify cars in a picture. Please check here to prove you're not a robot. Exactly. I talked about the one, two, three punch, and I realized there's actually a fourth punch that I forgot to talk about. Can't forget the fourth punch. Yeah, which is people's inability to judge what is important based on the signal that they're looking for. So like you, you've done an interview, you get a signal, and you come away from it and you don't think, oh, that person talked really well about why they were choosing to pass a set state function to a child component instead of you know, like changing it in the parent component or something like that, right? Or whatever. That person talked really well about that. Instead, you say, oh, the first time they went to write 
they used state hook, they used curly braces instead of square brackets, and it caused them like two seconds of having to retype something, and clearly they don't know what they're doing. And I use this as an example because it is a real piece of feedback that happened to me in an interview for a senior role. Oh my God. So you missed the shift key. Pretty much. And like <laughs> the feedback specifically said, this person doesn't know how to think in React. I was like, yes, because I'm a human, not a computer. I mean, even computers don't know how to think in React, right? It's like transpiled and stuff. And so I took a function and I put like a console log. I was like, I just want to make sure the data that I think is here is actually here. And it was, and then I moved forward. And they were like, this showed that they weren't able to think and react and like had to work through it. And I was like, hmm? okay. That sounds like a horrible person to work with. Yup. I'm sure they, I'm sure they are. I didn't work for the company, so I wouldn't know, but it was astounding. And people do that in interviews and it makes no sense. And the ironic part is like, you're talking about you know, that's not how it works. It's compiled. And then all of those things, blah, blah, blah. I work with ASTs and compilers and Babel and code mods all the time. So literally I know what it turns into. And that still, I don't think like a computer. Okay. Well, the way you're asking me to think isn't actually how the computer works. It's how the framework works. And the framework doesn't work that way because it gets compiled into something else. So that's when you like slam them down. <laughs> I mean, clearly the the best way to judge candidates is to ask yourself, would I get a drink with this person? It doesn't matter if you don't drink, just think about it and decide. Yeah, that's how we choose politicians, right? <laughs> right. And then and then be like, well, this candidate wasn't Alex, so I'm going to say no, because apparently Alex is very good at interviewing. He shows up and he gets the job. So Alex, you want to talk about <laughs> memorable interviews on your end? <laughs> I've been on several interviews. I don't interview very often because I kind of wait until I see something that I really want, and then I go really hard for it. My first job, I'm not going to name names of the company, but they taught me a lot. I learned a lot while I was there. I'll put it that way. There were a lot of red flags in the interview, but it was one of those where I was at a point where I was like, I need my foot in the door, right? So things like, hey, they wanted a test week from me. So show up for a week, they pay you, they pay you, they're paying. It wasn't like unpaid, it was paid. And they assign you some tasks and you finish them. Simple enough, right? So one thing that they assigned me was like, okay, change out this thing on this development page so that then we can get it ready to go to production, right? Great, cool, we'll do that. So here's the production link, here's the dev link, here's how to log into dev, great. So I'm working, one, First red flag. This was five years ago, six years ago. We were FTPing directly into the dev server. I'm FTPing like files into the dev server, modifying stuff, kind of changing things. And I'm like, you know, this isn't like the directions that I have here and like what's happening on this dev server aren't quite what like lining up. Let me go see what production is doing. Guess who had a production server pointing at the dev server? <laughs> 99.9% sure I know who this is. It's Alex. He's right here. Yeah, I know. It was very interesting. 
interesting. It was a very interesting week. And I stayed there a year. I got hired. I stayed there a year. But oh, man, like even going into it, I was like asking people, I'm like, should this be like how things work? And people were like, oh, no. We had many conversations after that about that fact. And things changed. Things improved while I was there. They started using version control, which was nice. I'm sorry, started what? I have many stories about that job. They're still doing their thing. That was like the weirdest interview. I never experienced an interview like that again. So I think one of the most interesting interviews I ever went through was they were hiring for a pair of programmers and you applied as a pair. Part of, I think, why they wanted to go that route was they were very specifically hiring out of a boot camp. Like that was their target. And so I think they felt that by hiring a pair, it was, you know, going to be higher quality despite like the junior level. Right. Because you only buy a pair of boots. So it makes yeah, sense. Obviously. This is like the <laughs> mythical man month. <laughs> but I mean, like apparently like they were just really big into pair programming there. Like that was their thing. And honestly, like I didn't hate the interview process, but I will say pair programming in front of someone is like, I don't know, somehow (laughs) even more nerve wracking (laughs) than just like live coding in front of someone by yourself, (laughs) because you're also trying to manage the nerves of the person you're pairing with, in addition to your own nerves, (laughs) or at least that was my experience, because no, my partner clearly, she, despite the fact that like, she was an actress in her spare time, like that was her passion had horrible stage fright when it came to interviews. (laughs) And like, I knew this. And so like, I'm trying to like, you know, help her like calm down and guide her through it. And also, you know, cause like I felt like it's sort of, we're trying to make each other look good in that situation. (laughs) And so I'm like, you know, this, (laughs) it's this, like, I know, you know, this, you're like, what is it? It's this thing. Great job. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, honestly, I felt like, given that the target was boot campers, I did feel like the interview process overall was gentle. And I mean, you have to evaluate technical skills one way or the other, or at least you have to try to. (laughs) I mean, whether or not anyone succeeds in that. And I figure, you know, giving us like a, it was a, it was a pretty small task and we had like an hour to do it. It was basically just connecting to some GitHub API and getting some stuff back. But like, I felt like, yeah, overall, it wasn't bad. But yeah, the whole concept of hiring as like a pair was weird, but also really cool. Made it to the final round, did not get the offer. Hearing you talk about like, getting some data from an API, getting it back makes me realize one of the problems that I saw was the job you're doing, you can be perfectly competent at, and it can be the same title and like the same general ecosystem as the job you're applying for. And do entirely opposite things because I was asked to write a fetch request in an interview after working at Gatsby, which doesn't really do that because it's all statically generated at build time. And I had to Google it. I was like, I don't know the last time I wrote a fetch call. Literally don't remember what the syntax is. And they were like, that's sort of strange. And then I explained, obviously, where I worked and what I was doing. And they were like, oh, that makes more sense. It's like, didn't mean that I don't understand React. It just means I haven't been operating with live data for a while. 
I have to look up how to do a fetch call every single time. Not going to lie. Because I used Axios for so long and they're so close. They're so close to being exactly the same and they are not at all. I'm actually not sure I've ever written a fetch call. I've always either done like uh, vanilla XHR or Axios. Oh, wow. Fetch has been interesting because I like it, but I look it up every time. Yeah. The syntax is very nice. Yeah. They did a good job with it for sure. I think this idea of like you have to evaluate their technical skills is interesting because on the one hand, yeah, maybe maybe you do. On the other hand, I feel like theoretically, if you can pick up stuff and the company is there to support you, between the two, anybody should be able to get somewhere. But I almost feel like there's a disproportional amount of offloading that responsibility of having support and documentation and onboarding and like some kind of system for somebody to work within and be supported by and continue to support is put onto the incoming developer. That's definitely true. I think the like need to evaluate their technical skills, the team, the company, the role and the level, like all of those things go into how much you should need to do that. Like if you're hiring a junior developer, don't you just want someone who can take feedback and communicate when they're stuck and knows that the variable name goes on the left side of the equal sign? Like, isn't that really what you want? Right? Like beyond that, you're expecting them to learn pretty much everything. If you're looking for an intermediate developer, you're looking for someone who has some comfort level with the language that you're talking about. And again, can like figure stuff out. I think the problem is there is a type of developer where you really, really care about their deep technical skill set, And that's when you want them to augment expertise in a specific area that your team doesn't have. So it's not just like, oh, can you figure out how to write code in JavaScript? It's have can you tell us that we should be using Cypress versus like something else? Can you tell us that when there's a problem with Webpack, it's because of its interactivity with the way we're using a new Babel plugin, like that sort of ecosystemy stuff. There is a type of engineer that you are hiring for that you need them to fill that role on your team. But I think we assume that all of our roles are like that. And therefore everyone needs to have the expertise ignoring the rest of the team. And it's like, no, you're looking for the person who augments your team. So if you already have that person, if you already have the domain expert, why can't you just hire someone who can figure it out and match the patterns and keep moving forward and learn on the job? They should be perfectly sufficient for the opening that you have. If you don't have anyone to lead the ship, maybe that's a different conversation. Lori, we have to hire the best and the brightest so that everybody feels lucky to be working with people smarter than them. I am so tired of hearing both of these phrases. You don't need the best and the brightest. Mediocre is fine. Like, you're building an e-commerce site. Calm down. And let's be honest here. Let's be honest here. They say that they want the best and the brightest, and then they end up hiring a mediocre white guy. So, like... Wasn't gonna say it. Wasn't gonna say it. So here's the thing. I feel very strongly about the second thing you mentioned, which is I want to work with people who are smarter than I am. But here's the trip. Everyone is smarter than I am. It depends what the measuring stick is and what category we're talking about, right? So every single person I work with, what it should really be is I want to work with people who I can learn something from. And if there's someone you're working with that you can't learn anything from, sorry, 
But like, it's just not how this works. So you're telling me the most junior developer on my team who can't teach me anything about code, and that's still probably not true. They probably can. But let's just say they've literally never touched anything. They don't know anything about a computer, but we hired them anyway. Can they teach me how to be a better teacher? Yes. Can they teach me how to communicate better? Yes. Can they teach me how to look at problems and get out of my own head from being too close to the problem to like see it fresh for the first time and maybe see things I wouldn't have seen otherwise? Yes. Can they probably teach me how to like have more tenacity? Yes. They can teach me 5 million things. And the person who's my exact clone can teach me a lot about how impossibly difficult I am to work with and how I should change. So, right? Like everyone can teach you something. My first job, they actually really did not evaluate my technical skills. I mean, basically he wrote like seven console log statements on a whiteboard and asked me like what they would log to. And basically it was like, does the number one double equals string number one, what does that evaluate to? And I was like, obviously true, but I avoid using double equals in general. He's like, okay, that's all I need to know. We're done. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> and then I stayed and I hated my life. <laughs> I, ha- I have met entry-level developers that wouldn't necessarily be able to answer that question because like, for example, the school I went to specialized in JavaScript, but some split time between JavaScript and Ruby. So there's like even trivia like that, that they might not get just because they haven't had that depth. I also hate trivia. I hate trivia. I'll take trivia over like a five day take home though, anytime. I mean, agreed, but they're both terrible. So can it not be either or, and can it be neither? This is the thing that I find really frustrating is, is people talk a lot about, we could solve all this with a take home. And I'm like, no, you can't because There are so many people who can't afford to spend the time to take your take home. And if they can, they're going to do it in exactly the amount of time you told them to spend. And someone else who has nothing but time is going to do it over the course of a week and hand it in and tell you it took them four hours. And that's just the way it goes, right? So like, it's not that it's a bad thing. I personally think we should offer both to people. We should say, do you want to do one hour synchronous or do you want to do like a a three hour take home, it's up to you. And if there's someone who said, my anxiety is really high, but I also don't have the time to do a take home, you figure out a solution. But like, at least then you're trying to give people, the goal of an interview in my mind should be for people to show you what they know instead of what they don't know. And if you're giving people options, you are giving them the opportunity to present themselves in their absolute, like the best skills they have and their best light. So Actually, when I interviewed for Marcy Sutton at Gatsby, in various parts of the interview, she had to pick one out of three. It's like, you can write about this, you can build this, or you can present on this sort of thing. And I had to choose, which, what's so wrong with that? Everyone's like, well, it wouldn't be standardized. And I'm like, it's not standardized anyway, because giving the same thing to a person with test anxiety and someone who doesn't have it or giving a take home to someone with free time versus someone who doesn't have it, you're already biased in one direction. So let them choose the way that's least biased towards them. Yeah, this idea of everybody has to do the same is really misguided at best. Previously on Cloudflare for the Dramatic. Hey, I need a website for my Rainforest themed bookstore. 
but, but I don't have a big budget for ongoing server fees. Is that like something you can do? And now, Cloudflare for the dramatic. Did you see the requirements list for this site? I know, it's a thousand meters long. They need us to use a JavaScript framework. Cool. Cloudflare Pages supports Jams. And they need something called Git integration? Yeah, Cloudflare Pages allows you to publish right from your GitHub repository. And on top of all of that, they expect this beast of a website to be performant? <laughs> Ahem. Like I've been trying to say, Cloudflare Pages supports all that and allows you to collaborate with others using advanced site previews with unlimited admin seats so you can include the whole team. Plus, it's super performant thanks to their vast edge network. To learn more, visit enjoytheview.io slash cloudflare hyphen pages. out? Will they get their Jamstack website up and running? Will they be able to make a site that works smoothly across the globe? Find out next time on Cloudflare for the dramatic! Guess I'll add this to the next sprint. Oh, I was just gonna say, I will say that uh, there's really, at the end of the day, one major requirement to work at my company and that's you have to care about healthcare. <laughs> like beyond that, like pretty forgiving, but you have to give a crap. One interview I bombed relatively recently, I got to choose and I personally don't really like take homes just in general, but also like especially if you don't know the company, which wasn't necessarily the case here, like it's so easy for them to give out a take home. You know, it doesn't cost them anything. And so there's not necessarily any kind of engagement or commitment on their ends to give you something in return for you giving them your time, because it's not like a one way street where they just need us. I mean, we need them, but they don't need us, you know? So I was like, all right, I'm going to do a live coding session. So I did. I got to the final round. I think in general, I'm pretty decent at telling how an interview was going. Like my first job, I was like, pretty sure I got the job. One of the most de-energizing interview processes I had was where I could tell like, I don't have the job like from the start. But uh, yeah, so so I did the life coding session, passed that, went to the final round. And then the final round, there's a section where they're like, we're going to talk about your take home. So be prepared to shoot your code. And I was like, mm, I didn't have take home. What's going to happen here? And they're like, just bring, like, bring your interview with you just in case. They'll probably ask you to do some view stuff in a code sandbox. They didn't use view, they used React. So they were like, you're going to have to have all the view knowledge. And I was like, okay, show up to the interview it's live coding like a full UI, like some tile, like imagine like a recipe page with tons of recipes. And they're like, you have 40 minutes to do this or something. And it was just like interview to interview to interview back to back to back. There was like a 30 minute break in the middle, which is like not enough time to eat lunch. Like I went to back to the interview, still chewing lunch. And there was a problem with the code sandbox where it wasn't syncing on their end. They couldn't see it. So they asked me to share it over Zoom. And I don't know what the problem was there, but that resulted in it not showing my changes. So I kept on thinking that the code that I was writing was buggy uh, and it wasn't reflecting in the UI. So I would change it and change it and change it. And 
refresh manually every now and then it, it just was not working. And so they were like, you know, you were great everywhere else, but you didn't pass this live UI coding thing that you didn't know you were supposed to do. And I was really annoyed because one, I was really anxious. I never had to live code a UI before. It's all been like JavaScript puzzles. But also two, I think the biggest thing for me, because like I've had interviews, for example, where people have yelled at me in the interview and like my friend at the company would be like, that's terrible. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that that didn't really affect me so much as that that they were yelling at me for not knowing Backbone. And you had specifically told me it was okay that I didn't know Backbone because I'll learn it on the job. So why was I getting harangued for not knowing this thing? So, you know, I don't know if I have a higher tolerance for some things, but I think when you don't know what to expect from an interview or you're told to expect one thing, for example, you're just going to have a framework agnostic design systems interview. And then turns out you have like, a week long and they expect you to take a week take home challenge where you, I don't know, rebuild Spotify or something. Or they tell you, yeah, you're just going to have a chat. And then they're like, here's Fibonacci. And for some reason, for the life of you, even though you used to be able to deal with memoization in your sleep, you just cannot even remember how Fibonacci works or what the sequence is. Just like when they don't tell you what to expect or they tell you the wrong thing and you prep for the wrong thing. Like I had one where they were like, yeah, you're going to have to do React stuff. I don't know React anymore. So I spent all this time studying up on React. I get there. It's an algorithms question. I get too deep into it because it had to do with, I don't know if our listeners know this, but I've, I've done a little bit of research on the event loop. So I got like really deep into it. I immediately knew what the problem was, but then could not for the life of me figure out how to solve it because my mind was in a completely different realm. I think that can be really frustrating from the interviewee side. I completely agree with everything you said. And I think that was awesome. I think one of the challenges is that the people who are communicating with the candidates, I mean, depending on the size of the company, right? But like the person who's communicating with the candidate is really rarely the person doing the interview. It's not the hiring manager, it's some recruiter. So the recruiter, as soon as they get the feedback that the candidate is moving on, they're like, okay, let's schedule your next round. And the candidate comes back and says, okay, what should I expect? And they tell them what to expect. And it may not even be that the next round has been officially decided yet, right? So all this information is out of sync. And I think I understand the challenge actually on both sides of that coin. It's like you want to be able to provide the information so that they can prep. But at the same time, you might be flying by the seat of your pants a little bit and like finishing up stuff based on the candidates you have and what you still need to see from them instead of having this like, it's actually better, right? Than having this, this is what they're definitely going to do in the next round. Maybe you're adapting to the scenario, that is a good thing, but it means you can't provide the information in a timely manner. And so people get misinformation, like no information is better than bad information, but no information is really frustrating. So I can understand situations where like you're told the wrong thing. That's egregious, right? Like I can understand being told we're going to go over your take home. And then it turns out you're not really, you're just sort of like building, you're answering slightly different questions. I don't understand being told you're working on React and it's an algorithms question. I really don't understand and have seen before when they're like, you don't need this skill. And then the interview is all focused on that skill. I have seen that way too many times. And that is where you didn't decide what you actually were looking for. You didn't match the rec and to the job interview at all. That to me is just not acceptable. And that live UI one, I found out when the interview was at 8 p.m. the night before. And it was a morning interview. Why did you go? I would have said, no, I'm sorry. That's not acceptable. I mean, I get it. Like, that's a privileged position to take. But that's just right now, in this moment in time, unless you are an entry-level candidate, the candidates have all the power. There's such a shortage of engineers. 
And I would like to see people taking that power back a little bit and being like, no, you, you can't treat me like crap. You can't, you know, grill me for two hours without a break and then not give me any opportunity to ask questions. Maybe I don't want to work for you now. Like there's so many ways in which I think companies take advantage of the idea that every candidate is just jumping to work for them. And for some companies, that's true, right? Like for some companies, they're going to have a never ending supply of, of people who want to work for them. But for other companies, like you're getting a little big for their britches. Let's, let's knock them down a bag or two. Yeah. I mean, in that specific case, it was very clear to me that like the company had decided to scale massively and had not yet given more support to the recruiting team. And so I, I could have pushed back and asked to change the interview, but I was like, it's probably not a big deal. And I, I felt bad for them. But I do think it's interesting that you bring that up because I think one of the biggest problems with interviewing is that a lot of companies don't care about the interview process. They don't think it's important, right? They just see us as uh, products or resources to be brought in for their service and not like a symbiotic relationship. I recently had a lot of involvement in my company's current interview process. Actually, interestingly, both for an open engineering role and for a marketing role. (laughs) But actually, I will say being on the marketing interview panel was really interesting because I got to just ask like, you know, the douchebag alert questions. (laughs) What are those? Can we add a list to the show notes so people know? My favorite one, and this one was truly a make or break for every single candidate was, can you tell me about a time where you promoted diversity and inclusion in your workplace? And like that, I mean, that is one that will throw people off and they don't have to answer perfectly, but how they answer will tell you so much about them. So highly recommend asking that. Well, a question that I have is like, would you mostly ask that to white candidates or would you also ask that to like, say people of color? Because I don't know if all of them I know that there's a lot of people that feel like it should not be their duty to promote diversity and inclusion. So I'm curious about that. I don't mean to take away from your question. It's just, yeah. But here's the thing. Yeah. Like if that is their answer, to me, that is acceptable. Like there's no right answer, you know? I feel like the great answer for pocket of societies to just be like, I exist in an industry that doesn't want me here. And that is promoting diversity and inclusion. I'm like, fair, valid. I think it is important to note that there is not a right answer to that question. But that question is really good for feeling people out, like where their priorities are. I was talking the other day about interviewing engineers specifically, and making sure that you have women involved in the interview panel somewhere along the way. And someone was saying, well, like, you know, our, our HR representative is, is female and one of the managers is female. And I was like, I under, that's good. Like, don't get me wrong that there are women involved in the panel, but I actually don't think that men realize that a man can, I mean, anyone, but like, we know it's mostly going to be men, right? A man can interview with a woman period perfectly fine if he thinks she is in a role that he expects her to be in. But the minute you're in a technical interview with a female engineer and one of the questions, like it happens all the time in a technical interview. Someone says, oh, that was a really interesting choice. Like, why'd you make that choice? And to a dude, they're like, oh, well, I decided da, 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 da. And to a woman, they're like, because it was the right choice. How do you not see that? Right? Like, the interaction right there tells you everything you need to know because they can't handle the fact that a woman has questioned them 
on a technical decision and they can't respect her like technical expertise in the first place and not having that anywhere in the panel is a problem. Like it's just a problem. You're assuming that he's even going to address the answer to the person who asked it. If it's a woman. (laughs) Also true. Been there, been there, been there. Yeah. My favorite is when there's two people. So I was the lead interviewer and I had a younger male colleague shadowing me and he was doing a great job. And I was, I was asking all the questions and my colleague was just standing there, sitting there taking notes. This was all over zoom. Right. And the candidate addressed every answer to the younger man, every single one. And we finished. And I asked my colleague, I said, would you hire this person? And he said, no, because he was a condescending douchebag. And I was like, bravo. Good job. (laughs) I appreciate that you saw this. To be fair, Lori, have you tried just being a man? I mean, I feel like the answer is pretty simple. It really doesn't seem that appealing, to be honest. Like, just doesn't seem like a fun time. We get better outfits. The whole, like, dresses. I mean, that's being very gender normy, but I'm just saying, like, society expects us to have cooler clothing. I just want to point out that Alex has been very quiet before weighing in with my own thoughts and not giving him a break to start talking. I think that gender diversity in an interviewing panel is really important. And I remember one time when I raised a concern about the lack of gender diversity and representation on the engineering side, a suggestion was made that like, that's something that like, uh, you know, if your candidate comes for an all day onsite or something, a lunch with a candidate could take care of. And I was like, No, because there's lots of even friends that I would be happy to eat lunch with, but would never want to code with. Like the context begets different behavior. And I think there's a major problem because you want to have you want to have a woman on the interview panel if they're going to be interacting with women. If your company is basically all dudes and they're only going to interact with dudes, don't waste the woman's time. But the problem is when you don't have enough people to fill those for all the different roles you're hiring for, you end up having your female engineers spend a lot of time in interviews when they would rather be doing their job that their male colleagues don't have to do. And so it's like, if you don't bake this stuff in from the start, it gets really imbalanced and really messy really quickly. I'm just thinking about the last company I worked for and how uh, in their like eight year history, I am the only woman who was ever an engineer there. (laughs) And I was not invited into the interview process for someone who was going to be working with me. I mean, Ari, just, you should have had lunch with them. I think that's on you. I was on vacation, but I mean, like, I was on staycation. So, like, I would have happily come in for that, but nobody even told me that they were interviewing. And they gave him an offer without even letting me see his resume. Especially with smaller teams, I feel like that's hard to understand when everybody doesn't get to meet the candidate. I don't understand situations where team members don't get to meet or at least be a part of the conversation about a new candidate. I also don't understand situations where as a candidate, you do not get to meet your hiring manager or other team members and you get just people like throughout the company. Cause I've seen that happen a lot. I'm like, no, I'm not accepting an offer if I don't know who I'm working with. Like, why would I do that? That makes zero sense. The company that wanted to hire me without meeting my hiring manager was wild. That was actually wild. That is crazy. One interesting thing that we did in our recent round of hiring for a director of marketing, we actually recorded the panel interview portion of it so that all of the other employees could view it if they wanted to and weigh in. And honestly, that worked out really well. So they could enjoy the view (laughs) is what you're saying. (laughs) Obviously, you don't want 
literally everybody in the interview because like that's overwhelming and a waste of a lot of people's time in that moment. But giving people at least the opportunity to be involved if they want to and give feedback, I thought was really nice. And actually, everybody was a big fan of that. Yeah, I was just in a panel where it was like nine people interviewing this one person. And I felt so bad. I think on the interviewer end, for me, one of the most challenging things is when you have a candidate that just won't talk to you. No, I just I just can't talk. And you're like, well, what do you think the problem is? And they're just sitting there. And you're like, well, what would you normally do if you were stuck? And, and they're just sitting there. From the interviewee side, one thing that I learned that I thought was really useful was this acronym REACTO, which I thought was a real, like, you know, just known across the industry thing. And apparently it's not. But it stands for repeat, example, approach, code, test, optimize. And so basically the idea is, this is mostly for whiteboarding questions. The interviewer asks you a question. You repeat the question back to them to make sure that you understood the question correctly. And then you give a few examples of the input and what the output would be to once again confirm that you understood the question. Then you talk about how you might approach solving the problem. And then you actually write out the code. And then the test part is where you take those example inputs and then walk them through your code to make sure that it works and you get the expected output. And then the optimize if you have time is just, well, like I did it this way because we have a limited amount of time. But if I had more time, here's what I might change or here's what else I might do where I actually know how to do it this other way, but brute force is what makes sense right now. And so personally, I find it really helpful, especially let's say if I'm not gonna lie, I actually enjoy interviews. Like I like talking to people and learning about things. But like if if you're in a high stress interview or something, I think it's really nice to have that pattern to fall back on to make sure that the interviewer is talking to like a person and not like a bale of hay. I agree. It's really hard. And it, interviews, pretty much no matter what you do, will always somewhat cater to people who are extroverted and outgoing and talkative. The only way I challenge that is I think people who can't communicate about their code at all are probably not great engineers, but I reserve the like caveat that there are neurodivergent people who are really great at their job and they find ways to make it work for them and interviewing, finding an interview that they can do well at if part of their neurodivergence is not verbal communication is really challenging. And I think also on like the working with people and it's an explanation, but not an excuse, right? Well, I feel like it's too depressing to wrap up here. Do we want to talk about any good interview experiences that we've had? I can talk about portions of interview experiences that I think are like really positive and I would like to see other people do. Actually, a thing that, that Netflix did that I really liked was I had a touch point with my potential hiring manager pretty much all the way through. So like I had an initial interview with them, but then after each set of interviews, we would have a 15 minute sync or so. And they would say, Hey, like, here are some questions that have come up on our side about whether or not you'd be happy here. Like, how do you feel about these things that we're going to be asking of you? How do you feel about the role? Are you still interested in us? Like, very clear, like, both sides-isms to it. There's a word for that that's just not coming to me right now. But it, it was a very even playing field of their, like, hey, here are some things that I wanted you to give an opportunity to clear up for us. And here are some things that we're a little bit worried about not meeting your needs on. So how do you feel about this kind of a compromise? Or are you just not interested in this? And so throughout, I, I got to know my hiring manager really well. And it for a lot of interview processes, I felt like I ended it with a ton of questions because I'd not really been given the time 
to, I was trying to just like get from round to round to round to round. And I, I hadn't been given the opportunity to really like dig into stuff, which is somewhat on me, but also there wasn't a lot of time provided. And at, at Netflix, I felt like by the end, I knew what I was getting into. I knew what I was signing up for. And three months in, I can say I haven't really seen any surprises. They were very forthcoming and they were very honest. And I think that's the sign of a good interview that I knew the pros and cons and I wasn't lied to basically. Like I knew what I was agreeing to. One tip that I know I've picked up, I think from Cassidy, but Cassidy Williams has mentioned before that when you go into an interview, you ask the same question to everybody. Always, if when they go, do you have any questions? You always ask the exact same question to everybody. And the one that she usually does is, what is the focus of your company? Is it the product? Is it the people? Is it, you know, is it like the product, the customers or the employees, right? Like, where is the focus of the company? As long as everybody consistently says the same thing, then like there are no big indicators there. But like when with that question in particular, it's when everybody says something completely different, you know, like, okay, that's problematic. But that's been, I know that that's been exceptionally helpful advice for me and has made some interviews go real interesting recently. Another question I've heard to ask in that same fashion is, how do you know what you're doing each day? Yeah, that is a good one. Manager will be like, oh, well, we do this, this and this because, you know, they're lying. And then like the engineers will be like, honestly, we don't. (laughs) Corey Quinn says the question that you should ask everyone is how do I expense a book for learning and just see how convoluted their process is and how consistent it is. And like, it's fascinating. Yeah, a lot of people might not even know. Sounds like the idea with asking everybody the same question is to gauge like the consistency and make sure that like communication is flowing and stuff. I think it can be hard if if you're in the type of interview where they're like, we'll save a few minutes at the end for questions. And then you get to the end and it's like one minute. I would say that that's not a company you should work for (laughs) because they don't care about you. So that rules out most companies. (laughs) The, the things that stood out to me the most from interviewers as an interviewee, the last time I was interviewing was two places they interviewed at. They set aside half of the interview time for questions, which I was really surprised by. Glad I was prepared because I don't know if you know, I always have a ton of questions. I thought it was nice that they, they saved half the time. And also one of those companies, like a lot of a lot of times companies be like, oh, you brought really good questions. And it's like a chance for you to impress the interviewer. But rarely is it used the other way around as their questions. It's their chance to in- impress you. And I've talked about this before. But one of the companies, they asked me a lot of questions about like, are you sure you would like it here? Like Lori was saying, I don't think it was like a show us how passionate you are, but really just making sure that I would enjoy it and, and be a good fit. And they also asked me like, how do I maintain work-life balance? And the way that they asked it and that they asked me showed that they really valued it, which I really appreciated and thought was very useful information. Uh, I also just enjoy turning questions that interviewers have asked me back around on the interviewer. That's always, it's all classic. It's just so much fun. So where do you see yourself in the next five years? Uh, uh, I, uh, what? Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's really great. That's always a good one. Do you want a fun version of that one? Yes, I do want a good version of that one. I ask people, is there anything I haven't asked that you think I should have? And most people think of that and they're like, oh, you should have, like, they'll say, oh, you should have asked about like our snack perks or you should have asked about this. But there are some people, let me tell you, that you can tell as soon as they get this question, 
their gears go in their head and you realize all of a sudden that they're on their way out and they are being honest. And, or in that moment, they're like, what I wish you knew is something really negative and it makes them think about their job. And like, it's exactly where their brain is because they're scrambling and they don't expect the question. I feel like so far, all of my responses to that question have been like, no, I think your questions cover just about everything. But if you have more questions, feel free to reach out. That is totally how I answer that. I'm the worst. I'm just like, nope, I think we're good. (laughs) It would be nice, though, if because I feel like some of the questions I ask are hard to answer on the spot. Like, can you name an example when you did time when you did this or that? So it would be nice if both ways, like we had more more places send questions in advance which i don't think is necessarily quote-unquote cheating it just lets you have like a more thoughtful and prepared answer the other way to phrase it is is there anything that you want to tell me and like just really throw it out there but that's a little less sneaky than the yeah just just be like well my last question is what's the hot goss (laughs) what's the tea (laughs) I'm always sure to ask what people's least favorite thing is about working somewhere. Oh, that's a good one. And that's when they start calculating the positive flaw answer. Yeah. Well, you ask them the positive first to get it out of the way. You can always tell when someone's giving you a BS answer to that. And that alone tells you a lot. Uh, And on that note, Laurie, where can people find you on the internet? I'm Laurie on tech on Twitter. I'm lauriontech.com. I'm lots of things are linked on my website. I think I'm lauriontech on dev. I don't know, but all my blogging is also on my site. So yeah, I'm pretty much lauriontech everywhere or Lori Barth, but yeah, mostly Twitter and my site. And now it's time to move on to this week's picks. Ari, would you like to go first? I would love to go first. So... This week, I'm going to pick something that I would have never discovered were it not for my amazing co-hosts here on Enjoy the View, who, when I got my current job, they sent me gifts to congratulate me. And one of them included this facial serum called Heal and Glow Facial Serum. I live in a dry climate. And so like dry skin is a, is a big problem, especially on my face. Cause I also, when I'm frustrated, have a tendency to, you know, like do the whole like hands on my face thing. And apparently that just saps the moisture out <laughs> as I've learned. So keeping my face nice and glowy with dewy moisture is a struggle, but the heal and glow facial serum definitely helps. And it is a small business. So Definitely give it a try if you have dry skin problems. Or even if you don't, I technically have combination skin. Also, it does not cause you to break out because I'm going to overshare a little bit. But yes, I struggle with acne and it has not caused any problems for me. Sounds like you have some great co-hosts and uh, it also helps helps explain your dry sense of humor. And uh, (laughs) with that... Alex, what are your picks for this week? So this week, I'm picking a board game. My local gaming store, Infinite Realities, recently had a copy of it in. And we like happened to be like just there right at the right time to be able to pick up this copy because they sell off the shelves like nobody's business. They are like super popular. So the game is called Wingspan. It is the most British game ever. 
Wait, I'm sorry. You can't talk about a British game and not tell us in British English. Oh, no, I can. You're collecting birds because you are bird watching. And you have like this palette of birds in front of you and like you collect birds over time and you have to feed them to get them. And then they like lay eggs and then you use eggs to like get more birds and like oh, just thing after thing. Right. Like it's just and so you're like, hoarding birds, you're hoarding birds. But like the only way that you can interact with other people really is like you can <laughs> kind of mess them up by like maybe taking the food resource that they want or taking one of the face up birds that they want. And that's it. That's like the only interaction that you have with other people. There's no like, so like you're, it's like this weird engine building, like super, it's so relaxing and so chill. Hungry, hungry hippos, but with birds, but like less, less anxiety inducing than hungry, hungry hippos, right? You have hungry, hungry hippos and everybody's like, ah! that them releasing the anxiety. They're just like breathing it out. No, and then like, but like, like this, you like put on some like bird sounds in the background and like outdoorsy bird sounds, and then like you're just playing with, it and you're just like, oh boy, I just got, I just got a brown thrasher. This is really fantastic. So like, yeah, it's a, it's a really great, relaxing, chill game. I highly recommend it. You heard it here first, kids. Don't go outside and enjoy nature and bird watch. Play a bird cardboard game at home. There are fewer mosquitoes that way, yes. And bees. All right. So, Laurie, what are your picks for this week? I'm five normally with all of my Lego, but today I'm going to be 12, I think. I've started playing Fortnite because it's available on Switch and a bunch of my friends play it. It's really satisfying to sort of like run around a map and hide and shoot at things. And I'm not very good at it, but what I didn't know was that I kept winning. And apparently for like the first... 10 rounds they give you all bots and make it really really easy so that you can learn the game mechanics and feel like you're doing well and i that was sort of an upsetting realization but the first 10 games are super fun because you feel like you're amazing the other thing i was going to pick is always lego but specifically i have the diagonally set behind me that i have not yet built i'm always on the lego train i just finished building the bonsai tree and diagonally is next. I'm running out of room. So if people want to pay for an addition on my house for more Lego so that they can see more builds, they can feel free to do that. Have you thought about building the addition out of Lego? I mean, I feel like this is a self-solving problem. I don't think Lego would really do super well with that whole weatherization thing and probably not be up to code either. I'm pretty sure the county would be mad about that, but details. Well, I mean, you know how to code, so I think it should work out. <laughs> All right, so I guess it's time for my pick, which I put down before we knew what we were talking about today. And it's a book called How Not to Be Wrong by mathematician Jordan Ellenberg. I think my ebook store recommended this to me a while ago. And I was like, yeah, you know, not being wrong sounds pretty fun. And I added it to my wish list and then I never read it. So I started reading it now, which is ironic because I was recently reminded that, you know what, sometimes it really does suck to be right. But yeah, it's it talks about math and statistics and different kinds of fallacies that we might make when analyzing a situation. So I'm only like a chapter in, but it's been interesting and not too dry. And you learn a bit about what's great or not so great about math education, the stuff of kids these days. That's all for this week's episode. If you aren't following us on Twitter, what are you doing? Head on over and hit that follow button. I don't think there's a bell, but if there is, feel free to smash that bell icon. 
And do be sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't already on, as Alex loves to say, your podcatcher of choice. If you have the time, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think. And finally, remember to tell at least one friend what you enjoyed about this week's episode or tell us on Twitter at Gloomy Loomy what your favorite or least favorite interview experience was. Thanks for listening. And until next time, let's say it again. Enjoy the interview.